Okay, good morning. We are on Daf Chof Amabez. We are on the top. We're going to get to the Mishnah, and then we're going to uh, spend the next, uh, I guess, a share and a half on, uh, on benching. There is so, are so many different aspects to talk about. So let's at least start the Gemara. We'll just review a couple lines up earlier that we did about benching. So that's two, four, six, eight, um, nine, ten... Uh, 11 lines down from the top on Chafam Bed, it says, So the Mishnah, again, just to reiterate very, very quickly, the Mishnah said that there are certain mitzvahs that women are obligated and some they are putter from. So the Mishnah in the bottom of Chafam Nalav said, Nashim Avadim Ketanim are exempt from Kriyashma and from Tefillin, but they're obligated in Tefillah. Mezuzah and Berchus Amazon. Now, we didn't really discuss tefillah too much. We'll discuss in the Chafalaf on the next stuff, women's obligations in tefillah. How much are they supposed to dive in a day? Are they supposed to follow the matbeah, the template that the Chavim laid out? We'll discuss that on the next daf. Mezuzah um, and Berchus Amazon. These are the ones that they are obligated in. Today, we're going to focus on Berchus Amazon. So, the first word in the line is Berchus Amazon. Gemara says, Pshita. It's obvious that they're obligated. Why would I have thought they're not obligated? So the Gemara says, same. I would have thought, since the Pasuk says, Since Hashem says, I gave you in the evenings meat and to eat and to be satisfied in the morning with bread, since it puts time parameters on there, that we're, once we go ahead and we attach to the mitzvah, uh, time parameters, it falls under the category of a positive time-bound mitzvahs. And we know that all mitzvahs are shesim and grum, and not all, there are a couple exceptions, but generally, women are exempt from. Kamash comes to tell us that no, don't think, even though it says morning and night by Berchas Amazon, that it all of a sudden changes the status to a mitzvah shesim and grum, and they are chayav. Okay, now we discuss benching, uh, uh, now we discuss, then we discuss Kiddush, and now we're going to drop, skip uh, about 10 lines, because we already did this Gemara, that was about um, um, Shamor and Zachor and Kiddush. We discussed that already. Now drop, drop down a few lines, Amalei Ravina, to the end, last two words on the daf, uh, on the line, Amalei Ravina, drop down about seven, eight lines. The Gemara says, Amalei Ravina. The obligation for women to bench. Now that we establish that women are in fact obligated to bench, is that obligation of biblical origin or is it rabbinically mandated? Is it midaraisa midrabanan? The mainaf kamina. The Gemara says. So what's the practical difference? If the, either way, they're chayavos. If you tell me the chayiv drabanan versus daraisa, is there any practical difference? The Gemara says yes. La fuke rabbe Yes. If they're obligated minatara, then women can go ahead and exempt other people. They could discharge other people's obligations. If, who are also chayav minatara, but if they're only obligated midrabanan, then we know that if you're not in the same playing field, a dirabanan, someone who's only obligated rabbinically, cannot go ahead and discharge the obligation of someone who's biblically mandated. So if you have someone who is chayav minatora, they can go ahead and discharge, they could bench for someone else who's um, but Minatora, uh, Minatora, uh, and if they're only obligated Midrabanon, they cannot go ahead and discharge the obligation of <coughs> someone else. You can discharge down, though. You can discharge down, you can't discharge up. So the question is um, how it works. That's the concept of Shumea Kaone. Either we'll get to that tomorrow or, um, or, or next week. Uh, but in any event, <coughs> Gemara says, if you tell me that a woman's obligation stems from a uh, Torah obligation, then you have 
one obligation deraisa, one chiyuv deraisa, go ahead and discharge another person's uh, obligation who's chiyuv deraisa. Meaning, a woman can then go <coughs> and discharge a man's obligation. However, if you can tell me that a woman's obligation only stems from the Rabbanon and she's exempt from the Torah uh, perspective, then she herself is not obligated to the Torah. If she is only obligated to the she will not be able to go ahead and discharge an obligation in the Torah. What is the, and the Gemara is going to say as follows, what's the halacha? My. So Tashma, I'll bring the following proof. Be'emes Amru, we said in truth, Ben Mivarech La'aviv. A child can go, a child who is less than 13 years old, we're talking about a katan here, a katan can go ahead, Ben Mivarech La'aviv, a, a son, a 12-year-old son can go ahead and bench on behalf of his father. His father eats, schayv and benching, we'll see, it's not so clear what obligation the father has right now, in this case, but the son can go ahead and discharge the father's obligation. Ve'eved, an eved kanani, mevarech l'rabo, it's not talking about an eved ivri, an eved ivri is a full-fledged Jew. Even an eved ivri, of course, has an obligation to go ahead, minat Torah, to bench, so of course he can discharge his owner's obligation. Talking about an eved kanani, who's obligated in a mitzvah like a, <coughs> eved kanani is obligated in a mitzvah like a woman. Like a woman, he has the same status as a woman as far as mitzvahs. So, Evan Mavarach Larabo, Vi'isha Mavarach Sabayla. We see right here that a woman can go ahead and bench for her husband. So the Gemara says, but the truth is, if a woman benches for her husband, but if a man who is obligated to bench allows his obligation of benching to be discharged by either a katan son or a woman, a curse will come upon him. But what does the Gemara seem to say? It seems to say that the truth is that a woman can go ahead and discharge her husband's obligation. Wouldn't this imply that her obligation stems from the Torah? We just said you have to be in the same playing field. So if we have a source here that says a woman can discharge her husband's obligation to benching, it must mean that we know if the husband is obligated in the Torah, by extension, it must mean that the woman is obligated in the Torah as well. Otherwise, how could a woman go ahead and discharge her husband's obligation? Omar <coughs> says... Benching, whole benching. E amrit bishlama daraisa. Now, if you say that she's obligated daraisa, then it makes sense. Asi daraisa, umapik daraisa. Then the woman's obligation it stems from the Torah. She can go ahead and discharge her husband's obligation, who's also obligated in the Torah. Eli e amrit rabbanon. But if you're going to tell me that the woman's obligation is only rabbinic, asi rabbanon umapik daraisa. You're going to tell me that a woman who's only obligated to rabbanon can discharge her husband's obligations in daraisa? It can't be. So seemingly, this proof seems to suggest at first glance that a woman's obligation is benching is in fact minatora, minatora, right? Otherwise, how could she discharge her husband's obligation? Gemara says... That's exactly what we're discussing right now. It clearly applies to women. The question is, on what level? Is, are they obligated minatora, minatora? You're probably wondering, why wouldn't it apply to the women? We'll get to that in one second. Rashi and Tosos explain. But, so the Gemara says, hold that thought, Alan, I'm, when I point to you in a minute, ask that question again. So the Gemara says, according to your reasoning, if you're going to bring a proof from this Brisa that a woman can go in and discharge her husband's obligation as a proof that her status, it must be Doraisa, I don't understand. What's the other obvious question? What other case did we say here? That a son can also discharge his father's obligation. Is any katan ever obligated in a mitzvah min it always stems from the word chinuch. Chinuch is all, they're only obligated midrabanon. So the fact that a son, in the same mission, or same price is brought down, that a son 
can discharge his father's obligation, and we know that is clearly a case where the Rabbanon is being motzi, is discharging a, a daraisa. So the fact that a woman can discharge her husband's obligation is not necessarily a proof that she's on a daraisa level. <clears throat> because the next words is that a son can go ahead and discharge his father's obligation. No one says that a son's obligation, a katan son, a 12-year-old, is Torah, and yet he could discharge his father's obligation when he's a Dirabanan. The son's Dirabanan, the father's Daraisa. So then you can't prove that a woman has to be a Daraisa in order to discharge her husband's obligation. Maybe she too, just like the katan who's discharging the father's obligation, is also Dirabanan. But is, it, is there a curse that goes along with the son? Yeah, it does say that. It says, actually, it says, Tavo Adam Adam It does say that it's son and, and the and the uh, woman. Wait, the cut can't discharge the woman. Why can't the woman So no, the woman can, the woman can discharge. The same rule that says that a woman can, a son can. But the Gemara wanted to say, this was brought in to say, what is her, ob- what's the source, what's the teeth behind her obligation in benching? Is it Minat Torah or is it Midrabanon? Morris says, who cares? What's the difference? A very big practical difference. Can she ever discharge her husband's obligation? So if she's on Doraisa, then she could discharge her husband's obligation as on Doraisa. If she's on Dorabanon, she can't discharge, you can't level up, you can only level down. So far. So that's what the Gemara. You're saying you can't, but then you're also, but you start off the first line before you even start that, you start saying that she cannot discharge her, his obligation. If she's a Dorabanon. If she's a Dorabanon. We're trying to find out what is the source. So if she's only obligated, we don't know what her obligation is. Gemara is asking. You said the katan can also. Oh, that's exactly. And the katan is a dirabanan. So we were trying to prove from the fact that the wife can discharge her husband's obligation, they must be equal playing field. It must be that she's minatora obligated. But you just said, but we also say that the katan can discharge his father's obligation. And clearly the katan is not obligated minatora. That's we're good. Right now. Excellent. He got it. He, good. 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 He got okay. Everyone can leave now. That's it. It's a no, no, Ron. That's great. I'm, I'm glad. Maybe other people get it, but they were afraid to ask. So thank you. Sigmar says, One second. And according to your reasoning, if you were to extend your logic, then we'd run into a problem because the katan, as Ron just said, is a derabanon. And he's not a Bar Chiyuva at Minatora. He's not obligated to Minatora. And yet, he can go ahead and discharge his father's obligation. So your proof falls out the window. So, Elohach Maiskinon. No, no, no. Kegon, She'achal Shiyur Drabanon. Dasi Drabanon, Mapit Drabanon. No. The case where the father and the wife and the husband are being, uh, the father and the husband are being discharged by Wait, his son. No, the father and the husband, meaning his relation to his wife, he's the husband, in relation to his son, he's a father. The reason why they're able, able to, ob- to discharge him in this unique case is because he only ate the, ob- the amount that does not trigger a Torah obligation. We'll see what the obligation is. Vachalta visavata. It's a huge topic. We're going to discuss this tomorrow for the majority of the time. What does it mean, vachalta visavata? You have to eat and you have to be satisfied. Normally we know that the amount that the Torah refers to when it says Achila is defined as a? Kazait. Say it out loud. Kazait. Kazait, right? You have to eat an olive's worth of flour. Kazais. But why the word visavata? Maybe if we always eat a kazais, if you eat two chocolate chip cookies, you're not satisfied. So does visavata level up? Is it Achila that brings it to Sesviya? Is it two separate things that you eat and you're satiated? What if you eat and you're sati- you only eat a kaza- uh, less than a kazayas of bread 
but you have so much chul in Shabbos afternoon that you're for sure satiated. Does the satiation have to come from the actual bread? There are so many different parts to this. But the bottom line is there is a minimum requirement, amount, a shear to eat that will trigger an obligation in a Torah. Anything less than that, you're not obligated in a Torah. So this case, the father was never, ob- the husband or the father. No, one, one second. So therefore, if the father's only obligated midrabanan, we're in the back of Chafam base. We're only obligated. The father's obligation never triggered minat Torah because he didn't eat the requisite amount to trigger that obligation. We still have to bench even midrabanan. So then the son and the wife are now all on the same playing field. So the Gemara refutes this this potential proof that the woman's obligation is minat Torah because they downgraded the husband's obligation. And since the husband's obligation or the father's obligation is only midrabanan, because he never ate enough to warrant an obligation minat Torah to bench, only he didn't fulfill the criteria of achalta. he didn't eat a kazayis, or in this case, we'll see what the shear is in a second. Therefore, now he's downgraded to a drabanan, so the fact that the wife or the son can go ahead and discharge his obligation, they're all drabanan, so it doesn't prove one way or the other, that she's a Daraisa Durabanan. Jason, you got that? You look. But, 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 but even, even if they're on that level where he didn't eat the full meal, he ate the, he ate the minimal. The father, he's yeah. Durabanan. Everyone's Durabanan right now. So, 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 so everyone can discharge everyone. But, but he still gets cursed. Although he didn't, he had. Although good, he, good question. Yeah, so the Gemara doesn't differentiate between whether it's Durabanan. He right, still gets right, cursed. Right. You shouldn't no, rely no, on that. Th- th- that's why I was holding it. That yes, and, and they go on to say that only if you're able to bench on your own. If you are, let's say, Baruch Hashem, you're about Shuva and you never went to school, you don't really know how to read, and you're sending your son now to Hillel or to our academy or whatever school, and then they know how to bench for you, that doesn't apply. The curse doesn't apply in that case. But this is a learned chacham. Right, we're talking about a guy who knows how to bench and relies on his son and his wife. But yes, it will still apply. So One I second, Alan, was first, sorry. Did you want to ask something? Yeah, well, no, I was, just, I was reiterating basically what you just said, which is, the achalta visavata uvarakli is the rabbana. If you eat, which is the kazayas, and you, you're satisfied, you have to bench the rice up. Good. So if you don't, you if still you, have to, still, even if you don't you have, have to bench, bench. You have to, you have to, you no, no, have you have to bench, bench. less than that. Still, that was my question. You, you have to bench, bench the rabbanon. Well, correct. We'll get to that halacha. You we'll get to that. that. Correct. You have to still, right. Even if you're not, even if you don't eat the shear. No, no, no. So your, no. So your obligation, sorry, your obligation in a bracha achron is the rabbanon. Right. If you eat less than kazai's bread, you don't have to bench. You're not even supposed right. to bench. Sorry. I misspoke. Right. Correct. Yeah. If, you, if you eat less than a kazais, it doesn't trigger any obligation. But in this case, you still have to make well, then, a bracha well, Your son can't, you know, do it. So it's a unique. You're it's not obligated at all. So we'll get to that tomorrow, and we're discussing the shiurim. If you, what happens if you eat? It's let's say you eat less than a um, kazais. The two ram. There are two qualifications here: the amount and the time frame you have to eat. You have to eat what's called tok de achilas pras. You have to eat in a time that's less than either three to nine minutes, somewhere in between, or Moshe says closer to three minutes, some say closer to six minutes. Can we hold that till tomorrow? That's a whole separate discussion, but thank you for catching me. If you eat less than a kazais, you do not bench. That's, if I said, if I misspoke, I apologize. Now, the question is, what, Alan's question. Alan, your question was, why would women be exempt? So if you look at Rashi, Rashi says, right in the middle of the daf, you see the Gilyon Ashas on the in, in the inside column? On the in the middle cup and the inside Gilan Shas, look three lines down from that. It says, actually, look right across that. So Rashi says, why would how would we explain that women are obligated in Torah? Because Alan said, It says women have to bench 
they eat and they bench. And it's not a time-bound mitzvah. That's what we would think, why they should be obligated in a Torah. What would be the svar? What's the logic to say that women are only obligated to Rabbanon? Rashi continues, Dechsiv, because we say in the bracha on the land that Hashem gave you, and we know women other than Benot Slavchad, which was a separate, unique case, women generally are not Yoresh, their father's land. And since they're not part of the Yerusha, we see that this bracha does not apply to them. How can they say, Tosvos doesn't like this at all. The next Tosvos, Tosvos right across, Nashim Mivarchos. If you look across, Nashim Mivarchos, it's, uh, if you look two, four, six, seven lines down, Nashim Mivarchos, it says, Vitema, seven lines down in the, in the third Tosvos on the daf. It says, Vitema, according to Rashi Svara, Kohanim Liam Nami Tibarle, Lonan Here's the problem Kohanim and Leviim also did not get a Chelek. So according to Rashi's definition, if the criteria, whether you're obligated in a Torah to bench, is whether you inherit land, we got a problem. Be- yeah, because we have other males who were not Zohar, who did not get Yerusha, Kohanim and Leviim. They were the Chelek of Hashem. They, weren't, they didn't get uh, a part of the land. So according to Rashi, biological de- ex- uh, extension, you would say also that Kohanim and Le- male Kohanim and Leviim are not uh, obligated? Your Svara he doesn't like. So therefore he says... According to you, Levim and, 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 and Kohanim can never bench for other people, and we know they can. So Ela Yeshlomer, Tosa says, what's the reason? There are two references to mitzvos in the in Noda, Noda the second paragraph, that excludes women. Bris, we know they don't have a bris. And they don't, they don't have a chi of Tamator, which we discussed multiple times. The chi of Tamator is limited to things that apply to them. Taros and Mishpacha, Kashra, Shabbos, so on and so forth. But they don't have an obligation to learn Taros and Zvachim like men do. So the fact that they don't have an inherent obligation for Bris Mila, they don't have an inherent obligation of Tamator the way we do, they're excluded by this, not by the the uh, separation or the inheritance of land. Because then that would come to exclude Kohanim and Leviim. So Tosos gives a different reason. And then he says... So what's the question? Why are we not sure if it's Darais or Rabbanon? Because it, it, the Gemara says later on, we'll get to this in Daf Mem, hey, if, someone do, if a man doesn't say this, bro, this part, benching, and excludes bris and Torah, he's not Yotze. So Tosos wonders, does the same apply to a woman? If she doesn't say this, she's exempt? So she bench. Or because she's completely removed from it, it doesn't apply to her. Or because she can never say it, maybe it does apply. In other words... If a man, one second, if a man doesn't say that, and he has to say it because he's obligating those two mitzvahs, he doesn't fulfill benching. So Tosus wonders, now take a woman. Maybe she doesn't have to say that because it doesn't apply to her in the first place. That, if, that rule, if you omit those, those, that paragraph, which re- refers and alludes to bench, to bris and Torah, if you're a man, you're not Yotze, because it applies to you and you didn't say it. But maybe by a woman, maybe since it doesn't apply, they don't have to say it. Or still, since they're part of Knesset Israel, they have to say it, but they wouldn't be able to be mozi other people. So that's the reason why we would think that women may not be obligated in a Torah, either because of the land or because of the bris and the Torah. She can do it, but no, she no, herself. She must do it for her children. Right, she can do it. Right, what? Time out. The question, The question is whether she has the obligation by herself to actually do it, or to ensure that Bezdin does it. I'll give. That's a separate chair. I gave that a few years ago on Shavuos, but it's a whole separate thing. The halacha is that if you ha- better to have. Question is, and when I'm going to get off topic, it's day number eight right now. 
and you don't have a male moel. And in order to get a moel, you'd have to go to the next town and you push it off to day nine, or can you use a woman moel? What's the answer? What do you do? Use a, moel, a woman moel on day eight, mohelas, I guess, on day eight, or do you wait till day nine, not do the mitzvah and mufchar, and get a male moel? Use the woman. Use the woman, correct. Okay, good. Now, that's what we're talking about. Tzipora did it. Yes, that's exactly what we're talking about. Okay, now, okay, let's finish the Gemara. So the Gemara continues now. The Gemara goes on to say as follows. Doresh Rav, Doresh Rav, oh, by the way, the Gemara does not answer the question whether she's obligated in the Torah And in fact, I'm going to quote the Shulchan Aruch now. Nashim chayavos beberchas hamazon v'safeku imhen chayavim idiraisa. In Kuf Ayin uh, Vav, it says, Mechaber says they are obligated in benching. Everyone agrees they're obligated. But since the doubt was never resolved whether they're obligated in Minatom um, therefore, Safeku, if they're Chayim Midaraisa, Umotsias Sasanashim, Oenam Chayavos, Element Rabbanon, Veenam Matsias, Elamisha Yeshiv, Shenchiv, Element Rabbanon. We don't know. Tosa says we don't know the answer. Are they obligated to Raisa, the Rabbanon? Therefore, it's a Safek whether they can go ahead and be Motsi men or Right and discharge people who are obligated on a higher level because we don't know. Maybe they're only got obligated midrabanan, and if so, they can't discharge their husband's obligation when he's obligated in Torah. So it's left as a suffix. We don't know the answer. The so Gemara cons- the husband is, he drank too much during the meal and he can't bench. So what happens? So there? that's probably an honest. That's something else. That's not where he's able to, and he doesn't. If you get to the point where you're the wife, where you're inebriated at that point, he's probably only chayv midrabanan anyway. He's probably not even in his in his right mind. So so can the wife be mosi? Um, can the wife, as opposed to him not being able to bench at all, but again, if he's so drunk, he may not even understand what he's... Uh, drunkness is a... This, I have a share prepared, I didn't do it yet, on, on whether Kohanim can duchin while drunk. Alan will probably appreciate this one. Yeah. But whether they... Whether they uh, why on Simcha's Torah... Because he's a Kohen, not because he's drunk. Well, well one second. <laughs> not because you're a lush, let me just throw that out there. Um, but, but Simcha's Torah, we know... That we all go ahead and we we duck in shachris because people here have more than one drink, right? So, whether, but how it relates to benching? Interesting question. But in that case, he's probably he's an honor, so it's probably better that she benches for him. He might not even be obligated to rice at that point because he's like a he's like a shota. Doesn't that come from the government of you? That's why we don't have. So, that, 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 yeah, that, that's mentioned as one of the sources. Eventually, well, I'll, next time we mention Duchening, I'll bring that share and I see it's going inter- to generate some interest. Okay, so Darash Ravavirus, the Gemara continues. Zimnin Amarle Mishmei, Zimnin Amarle Mishmei, the Rabbi Ami, Zimnin Amarle Mishmei, the Rabbi Sometimes it's the following statement was said in the name of, 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 um, of, uh, of uh, where are we? Sometimes the final statement is saying the name of Ami, sometimes he'll say it in the name of Rav Asi. Come the heavenly angels and Kodesh Baruch Hu, weave a taina. Ribona Shalom. says in your holy Torah, that you're not allowed to go ahead and we should not take a, a shofet, should not uh, perform a favoritism, should not show any uh, partiality, should not take any bribes. But you, says the Malachim, no say pardon the Israel. You go ahead and you clearly show favoritism to B'nai Israel. How are you able to do this? So the, he responds, How can it be that I don't show favor to, 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 to my nation? I went ahead and I 
clearly instructed them in my Torah, eat, be satiated, and only then bless, bless me. And then what do they do? I said, only when you get to the point of satiation, when you're completely satisfied. But they go ahead and bench, whether, we'll get to that later on, whether, what the obligation is, is it a kibetza or a kazais? We hold like a kazais, even smaller amount. Because Baruch is saying, they're showing favoritism to me. How can I not reciprocate? I tell them, you only have to bench if you have a gazunta meal that you're really, really full. But they go out and say, no, 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 even if we have a small, they're medactic on themselves. They're so exact and <clears throat> rushing to do my mitzvahs and to give shevach and thanks to me that even on a small amount, a kebesa or a kezais, both of them are way smaller than satiation, right? Never, no one's going to say if I have uh, two small crackers, which is probably a kezais, or three crackers, that I'm full. And yet we bench when that, that's not the Torah obligation. So, how can I, so that's why Hashem says, how could I not show favoritism to them? Okay, we have so many topics to speak about. First, I want to speak about, we know there are four brachos. The Gemara and brachos of Memches, on my base, we'll eventually get there, says as follows. Omer of Nachman, Moshe, Tiki, and Yisrael, Berchas, Hazan. We know that Moshe established the first bracha of Hazan, and we say, there's a machlokas, whether Moshe actually wrote the language of the first bracha, like the Rashba holds, or did he, Sefer Chinuch just says he introduced the concept, because again, Vachatav, Savatav, Rachta is in Parshas Ekev. The man was, was earlier, right? So Moshe introduced the concept to them to bench after they got the mon. So it's a machlokas whether when he actually wrote the words or the Anshes Kenes Zagdola wrote the words like the Sefer Chinuch says, um, but the concept was introduced by Moshe. Next, Yoshua Tikin and Berchas Aretz. The next bracha, the second bracha in benching was from Yoshua. Kevan Shanichnesul Aretz. Once they went ahead and they, they entered uh, the land and they were the conquest of Eretz Yisrael. The, the Gemara continues in Brachas Tav Memches. David Shlomo Tiknu Boni Yishlaim. David and Shlomo, as a father and son tag team, went ahead and did the third bracha. David Tikin Al Yisrael Mechal Yishlaim Yerecha. The first part about Yishlaim was David. Uh, authored that part, and Shlomo did Alabai Sagalto, because Shlomo's one who built the, the base of Mikdash, David couldn't write that. Hatova Metiv, the fourth bracha, listen to this. Biyavne Tiknua Kineged Haruge Beitar. This was established in Yavne in regards to the, regarding the, the, the Haruge Beitar. We're going to discuss the Gemara in a second, what exactly happened to Beitar. Uh, but, so let's just, let's just go to that story before uh, we get to anything else. So listen to the Gemara in Gitin Daf Nun Zayin. This is the Gemara that we're able to learn on Tishabav, it's all about the Chorba, Tornamalka, different Chorbanos. Listen to this Gemara here, and this tells the story of Betar. It says, Ashka de Rispak Har Betar. Betar was destroyed on the account of a shaft for a carriage. What does that mean? It was, it was a custom that in Betar, when a boy was, was born, a Jewish boy, they would plant a cedar tree. Uh, and when a girl was born, they would plant a, a cypress tree. And it turns out the Gemara goes on to say that when this boy and this girl got married, they would cut down these two trees and make their chuppah out of it. What a nice minog. So when a boy, for Shalom Zachar, for Shalom Bas, whatever, they would plant two different trees. And then 18, 20, 22 years later, when the boy and girl got married, they would go ahead and merge them in the chuppah, and that would be a beautiful symbol. What happened? What happened? One day, the daughter of the Caesar was traveling through Betar, through the forest. It was Shaka the Rispak. And her, her, um, her carriage, one of the uh, spokes uh, from the wheels broke. And she went down and she cut a tree. She went down and cut a tree. It was Shaka the Rispak. So she, her, her, uh, 
her posse that was with her. She was the Caesar's daughter. So the king's daughter, this, the posse went down and said, you know, we'll, they cut down a tree, they, they carved out a spoke, they put it into a thing. So what happens? All the uh, the locals fell upon them and beat the uh, beat this posse, beat her uh, her uh, servants, so to speak. What happened? So what happens? Obviously, these people went back. They warned the Caesar that the people are rebelling. They didn't know what the reason was. They came and they pounced on us. So unfortunately, he went off and uh, he went back and paid retribution on the whole Jewish city. The Gemara continues. So, um, and because of that, by the way, obviously Beitar was destroyed, and the Gemara continues that so many people were, were killed. 80,000 people. Children, that, uh, sadly, history repeats itself. They didn't distinguish between men, women, and children. There was so much blood flung, it flew to the ocean. They said there was so much blood, they estimated a half million people were shechted in, in that, during Haruge Beitar. Unless you think that the sea was close, it was a mill away. That, that's how much the blow. Yeah, but th- that's what they say. Karni uh, Melchama. No, 80,000, sorry, 80,000 officers were sent down to go ahead and do the dirty work. Not that 80,000 were killed. 80,000, uh, he sent an army of 80,000. So, now let's go back to the Gemara. So the Gemara there says, what happened in, in Betar? What happened in Betar? So the Gemara continues and says, we say, Tov Why a Tov So the first part now, to make matters worse, they were not allowed to go ahead and to bury their dead. So the people of Betar, the, the corpses, sat there for months, if not years. So the Gemara says, they went ahead and they established his bracha because of the Beitar. Damar of Masna. Also, Yom Shnit na Ruge Beitar lekvura. The day that after months or years, um, because the Roman Caesar not only didn't want to, he wanted to serve as a uh, constant reminder. He wanted the bodies to decompose publicly, so he didn't allow for kavura. So the day that he was allowed to be buried, they established hatov ametiv hatov. The first part of the bracha tov is that the bodies didn't, didn't decompose or rot. There was no decaying of the bodies because Baruch made a miracle. And the second part, hatov, that didn't decay, the hametiv, Baruch was good and continues to be good that they allowed for kvura. Now this was the bracha, can you imagine, this was the bracha on something that just, they allowed them to bury their dead. So it's kind of, if you look at the bracha, it's actually quite, quite amazing that the bracha is so... Um, is, let's look at the Lush on the bracha. It's actually, absolutely amazing. If you look at the bracha, it seems to be the, probably the nicest bracha we have. Every single day, who hated, who made, who hated. All three tenses. He did, he is, he will be good. It says, who continuously does chesed for us, before chesed. He did, he is, he will. Laad forever, lechein lechesed lerachamim. It gives us chein a chesed lerachamim lereva chatzal vatslacha. It's shefa brachos. It's literally it's overflowing bracha. Bracha of Yeshua, nechama, parnasa, vechalkala gives us sustenance. Verachem chaim b'shalom. All because they were allowed to be buried. It's an unbelievable bracha. It's probably the nicest lashon we have. Every tense, every possible superlative, and every possible thing a kadosh baruch give us. It's in this bracha because we're able to bury. And because the bodies didn't decay. So there's a beautiful, beautiful suggestion. Rav Moshe Vigdor Miller, uh, I'm sorry, not Moshe Vigdor, Rav Moshe Vigdor Amiel, 
He was a Rav, in, he was in Talmud in Vilna. He lived in the uh, 1800s, early 1900s. He learned under Rav Chaim Briskin, Rav Chaim Ozer Gwazanski. The two Gedolei Hador at that time is also very, very big in the Mizrahi movement. One of the first Rabbanim from the European movement to come out in support of the Mizrahi movement says the following thing. He says, it's hard to understand how this bracha was so nice under, for such a small, seemingly small suggestion by Kodesh Baruch after all. A half a million people were butchered and massacred. And now we get to bury them six, eight, nine months later. That, that, that uh, warrants the nicest bracha? He says, Betar was during the second time, second Chorban. They had just sacked the Chorban, and, right? Because um, um, if you, the, uh, what's the, what's the mountain that we all climb up? Masada. Masada fell in around 72, 73 CE. So this, Betar was right after that. And who was the leader of the Tekufa at that time? Who, who fell in Shabtai, Shabtai Tzvi? Rabbi Kiva. Rabbi Kiva was the leader at that time. He was the Manning, he was the Manning of that Tekufa. He was the Manning Ador. We know that Rabbi Kiva was the eternal optimist. We remember for the last Daf in Makos, we saw that when they went up to the, went up to the, um, the Chorban, everyone was crying because a, a fox walked up there. He was with other Tanam. They all started crying. Rabbi Kiva was laughing. So I said, Rabbi Kiva, why are you laughing? He goes, why are you crying? He says, we're crying because the, it came true that we see the Chorvan and we saw a fox walk on it. So Rebekiva says, yes, but if that nevuah came true, then that means the other nevuah will eventually you'll have, right, the famous song by, by, uh, David Amel, uh, by, uh, by uh, Mordechai and David, that you'll see Yoshua Zekanim, right, sitting and children playing in the streets. That also will come true. And he was the eternal optimist. And then they wind up saying, You went ahead and you comforted us. You're right. If this Nevuah came true, which was for Peronos, then eventually the other one will come true as well. This was, and he was, all the people of the generation looked to their mentor. They learned from him. And they saw even in such a dark time, if you have this little piece of, of uh, Kodesh Baruch who's showing that he's involved, that warrants this kind of bracha. And the Meshach Chachma says the same thing. We know that in the darkest of times, Imo Anochi B'Tzaref, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, during a time of Hester upon him, when it's hard to see him, shows that Imo Anochi B'Tzaref, shows you even a small little gesture, it, it, it moves mountains. And that's exactly this point here. During the, one of the darkest tekufos in Jewish history, during when the Rome um, uh, put down the, uh, the uh, revolt, and they killed, they destroyed the, Chor, the second base Miklash, they destroyed Betar, they put down the last stronghold in, in Yerushalayim. It was one of the darkest times in Jewish history, and the fact that Akash Baruch Hu made this miracle, that enough was, was enough to warrant, was enough to warrant this, this fascinating bracha. Um, so that, that's the fourth bracha. The, I'm going to do something really, really quickly now about the uh, first two brachas, really, really quickly, so bear with me, we have three, four minutes. We discussed at the uh, Makos Daf Zayin, that there's certain zechuyos that Eretz Yisrael have. The Gemara in Tav Zayin in Makos says that if Edom Zomen, Edom Zomen are false witnesses of a very specific type. They're not that, they say Reuven killed Shimon. They're not found to be lying that Reuven didn't kill Shimon. All it was is Imano Yisimimakamploni. You couldn't have given testimony in Chicago because you were with us on that night in Detroit. And since Imano Yisimimakamploni, since you were with us in a different place, the testimony may or may not be true, but you cannot be giving, saying the testimony of Reuven killed Shimon because you were in a different place. They're found to be Adam Zomin, and they're punished with whatever they intended to do to the people they're giving false testimony on. Kash or Zomam, whatever they intended to do. The Gemara in Makos Zayn says that if it's found to be Adam Zomin in Chutzlaretz, and then they escape before their punishment is enacted and carried out, and they escape to Eretz Yisrael, they can be retried. If, however, they're found to be Adam Zomin and they're awaiting verdict, awaiting punishment, and they escape to Argentina, 
they cannot be retried because only if they go to Eretzstraw, they can be retried. Maybe they won't be bound to be Zomen. But if you found to be Zomen in Eretzstraw, and you go, Chos you're not retried. The says, why? Because it says, Menei Tzchusa Shal Eretzstraw. There's certain Tzchusa, and Rashi says, maybe <coughs> going to Eretzstraw, they'll find a, a loophole to get them out. So we see the first instance where Eretzstraw itself has a, has a possible Tzchus. There's another fascinating example. Mishnah Yivama stuff, Samach Dalit says that if you're married for 10 years to a woman and you do not have children, you can divorce. In the olden times, it would just be before Chaim Rabbeinu Kesham, you would take another wife. Today, you have to divorce if you're married 10 years. Says the Gemara, that only applies if you're living outside of Israel. If you were to then move to Israel, you get a, a, a brand new uh, start from zero, a brand new slate. 10 years starts on the clock now. So you can be married up to 20 years. So the 10 years do not count, meaning that you don't have to divorce her if you're married 10 years of Chutzlar, and then you move to Eretz Yisrael. You get a 10 years in Eretz Yisrael, and the Ramban, Parshas Lech Lecha says, because maybe there's something about the land of Eretz Yisrael itself that will allow her to become pregnant. That's the second example. We see this Chutz of Eretz Yisrael. There's a third example. The Gemara Arach and Laman Bey says, Ezra helped the Jews celebrate Sukkot in a way, bless you, that they never celebrated before since the times of Yoshua. The Gemara says this, that Ezra went ahead and he helped the Jews celebrate Sukkot in a way that no one did since the times of Yeshua. The Gemara asks, what about David HaMelech? David HaMelech was chronologically between, between, um, between um, Yoshua and, and uh, Ezra. So what does that mean? The Gemara says, no, it really means not a physical Sukkot, it means to provide a shelter. Ezra davened that the Yetzirah for Avodah Zara should be removed. And when it says Sukkot, it doesn't mean the Sukkot that we know, shaking the lulav, sitting in Sukkah. It means not a physical Sukkah, but a spiritual Sukkah. He went ahead and he davened that their, that their, um, that their taiva for Avodah Zara should be removed. He says, but okay, so you, don't, you have a taiva of everyone from Yoshua until, until, um, until uh, from Ezra to Yoshua till Ezra. Why are you starting from Yeshua? Why didn't Moshe daven? Why does Moshe get a free pass? How come Moshe didn't daven for this, for this uh, taifa to be removed? Gemara says, because he never entered Eretz Yisrael, mm. and his power of tefillah was not as strong as Yeshua. Uh, that's what Gemara says. Comes from Tzadok HaKohen, unbelievable. Tzadok HaKohen lived until 1823 to 1900. Says something, his stuff is amazing. Listen, Sitzka Satzadik, he says amazing stuff. He says as follows. He says, as a pasuk, Vayomra Moshe tells Hashem, please show me your glory. What does Hashem says? You cannot see my face. Hashem responds, if you see my face, you'll die. Okay? So Moshe asks, let me see you. Let me see. Let me see your face. You can't. You'll die. The Gemara, the first half Chagiga says that. We know there's a mitzvah of Aliyah Laregel. Bear with me, two more minutes. Aliyah Laregel. We have to go ahead and go up to um, Shalosh Regalim three times a year to the base of Mikdash. A Suma, person who's blind, is exempt from it. Why would he exempt? Why is he exempt? So it says, Suma You don't have to go if you're blind in one eye. Shinemar, certainly if you're blind in two eyes, but even if you're blind in one eye, because it's part of the mitzvah of, uh, of Aliyah Laregel. So that Hashem two eyes Good. Just like you're going to see, you have to be seen. Just as a Kaddish Baruch Hu is going to see you with two eyes, you have to see with two eyes. Now, one second. So, I don't understand. This is figuratively, but Rav Sadduk says, Moshe asked Hashem to reveal himself. He said no. Every Tom, Dick, and Harry Jew who makes Alila Rega will be seen by Hashem. They could see Hashem just like you see Hashem. Hashem is going to see you. I don't understand. How does that work? Now, again, more figuratively that they don't actually see his face, but
But the word re'iyah to be seen is used there in conjunction with Hashem. Just like you're going to go see Hashem, Hashem is going to see you. And Hashem wants to see, only you can, Hashem is going to look at you with two eyes. You have to look at him with two eyes. <clears throat> so he says, and Moshe couldn't. He says the difference is Moshe was never in Eretz Yisrael. All these people are seeing Hashem in Yerushalayim, in Eretz Kodesh, in Eretz Yisrael. Therefore, that schos of being Eretz Yisrael elevates them to be able to see. He says now by benching, who wrote the first bracha? Moshe. Who wrote the second bracha? Yoshua. The first bracha is in third person. Hazan asalam kulobu tuvo. Talking about Hashem, everything is in third person. Who knows saying lechem lechol basar? Kili olam chazdo, chesed shalo. Everything's in the third person. Anyone notice the change in tense by the second bracha? Shechatam to bifsareinu. Shenasato lanu. It's second person. It's second person, which is obviously closer. Rav Sadok says the reason why the second bracha is in the second person, whereas the first bracha was authored by Moshe, is in the third person, because Moshe never entered Eretz Yisrael and Yoshua did. The fact that Yoshua entered, this is one, another proof of the zechus of Eretz Yisrael, that the fact that if you look at Benjamin now, you'll, you'll, you'll appreciate it. The first bracha is in the third person, because Moshe authored it, says Rav Sadok, he never entered Eretz Yisrael. Yoshua, who did enter Eretz Yisrael, so we see multiple things. And the last thing, Alan, listen up, this is for you. The very last point. The Alter Rebbe of Shneer Zalman of Lialdi was, was freed on the 19th of Kislev in 1798 from, from jail. And when he was asked, he was there for a few years, he was asked, why does he think that he was Zoha to go ahead and be freed on that day? He actually said, because the Yidin are starting to move back to Eretz Yisrael. And then there's Chos. This is brought in the Sefer, Eim Avon Smecha, Tachtel, who wrote a very uh, book about the pro-Zionism and making Aliyah. At first was not received well, then it is received well. It's a fascinating read. And if you look at the Akdama, he brings this in. He said, Shneer Zalman, Alter Rebbe said, I was freed because Jews are starting to move back in Eretz Yisrael. What is the connection? So he was looking for what the possible source is. And Rav Tachtel says the following. Wonderful. So listen to what it says. He says, you know what the source is? The source of this chus? It says, in Vayikra, it says, V'zachartis brisi Yaakov, V'afres brisi Yitzchak, V'afres brisi Avram is kor, V'ha'aret says kor. Not only do they have z'chus avos, even the aretz I will remember, and has its z'chus. And he says, this is the source, what we just said, with Adam Zomin, with the 10 years of being married, not counting against your 10 years of being childless, about the sukkah, that Ezra Davin, and Moshe couldn't Davin, about the first two brachos of, of, of benching, the zuchus of Eretz Yisrael is real, and that impacts our benching, the first and the second bracha. Have an amazing day. Yeah.